A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast. This week it's been a huge week for Australian cricket with change at the top thanks to uh, the latest scandal. My name is Joshua Shonafinger and I'm joined by Lewis Cameron on this week's edition. Welcome, Lou. The latest scandal, Josh. You said that so cynically, my friend. Uh, I mean, it it has been a a weird few days, hasn't it, since we're recording this on a Tuesday. It was Friday where Tim Payne seemingly out of the blue for for most of us, but uh, as we found out, not out of the blue for... For some people, you know, he resigned as, as test captain um, and that's all people have been able to talk about. I mean, if you're the, – the thing that I was thinking about this morning on the um, – or this afternoon on the way in, Josh, was Australia's T20 World Cup team, you know, still celebrating their win. Um, you'd be angry almost, wouldn't you, that this is kind of taking the shine uh, – it hasn't taken the shine off the win, but it's taken certainly taken the attention off what was a, a pretty amazing achievement. So, um yeah, I mean, th- there is some cricket to be played soon, so that's uh, that's a good thing for everyone, right? Yeah, certainly. It was a quick turnaround, as you said. It was the World Cup win, and then a couple of days later, we had the Ashes squad, which George Bailey told us is locked in, absolutely no changes, and then a couple of days later, this Tim Payne news comes out. So, And this is all with the Ashes only two weeks away, so uh, nothing like a bit of a, the news cycle of cricket as we roll into the bigger series uh, that we've got. I mean... What does it mean for the Australian team, do you think, moving forward? Where does Tim Payne stand now in this squad? Uh, he's, his standing in the team is um, on shaky ground, no doubt. I mean, it sounds like it might have been anyway, just given the um, the lack of match practice he's had. Um, but even more so now that he's not the captain and he's not offering a you know the leadership um, element to, to his selection. So uh, absolutely, it's, it's up in the air. He's playing a... A second eleven game as we speak. You just told me that he got out for one. Is that right? That's right. But six catches in the he did first yeah. innings and yeah. looked pretty sharp behind the stumps from the replays we saw. Yeah, so so that's important. I'm sure he would have liked some time out in the middle, but um, there's no getting around the fact that he also had a, a club cricket game washed out recently, and he just hasn't played much cricket. He hasn't played first class cricket since April. Um, he'd be going in. I mean, they're all going into this Ashes series, right, with with no first class cricket behind them, or you know the the ones who played in yes. the T Twenty World Cup yep. anyway. So a lot of the key ones um, are, are doing that. So maybe you look at that and you kind of go, well, he we know he's a very hard worker. We know he's been preparing meticulously. We're, we're told. Um, so maybe he can do it. But uh, there are absolutely some some question marks um, ahead of the first test. How how far away now, Josh? Two weeks. Yes, the first yeah, test is weeks. on uh, December 8th. So mm. uh, it's coming up very, very, very quickly. So I think there is one Sheffield Shield match that Payne could play for Tasmania in the lead-up. Is that right? Or Well, he didn't get picked. Pre- he presumably didn't get picked for the one that they're playing against Western Australia as he speaks. So he presumably wasn't deemed fit enough for that. But he was you know, kind of deemed okay that um, for the second 11 game that he could kind of get through that. Um, if there was a, a minor setback, they could probably replace him in the team. I'm not sure exactly what yeah. the rules are yeah. around um, second 11 fixtures. Uh, I don't think there is another one. I mean, when you factor in the fact that they probably need them in Brisbane by a certain period yeah, of time, they've yeah. got that warm-up intra-squad game 
in the lead up to the Ashes, uh, I think he's he, he's not playing an no, issue right. cricket before then. Yeah, no, you're spot on. So where does he stand in the team? I mean, there has been a bit of debate about whether or not he should be selected on glove work alone. Uh, he does have a – I mean, a lot of people do like to criticise his batting, but as far as Australian batters have got – gone who have been full-time wicket keepers he's third behind only Gilchrist and Haddon of all time so you can't say he's been a failure with the bat in the Australian team not at all not at all and I think that is overlooked and it is funny that some of the commentary around that is is tilted that way you're right um the interesting part is he he was one of the ones who himself said he didn't have a great summer with the gloves last year against uh against India Mm -hmm. he let a you know he, he said his mind was elsewhere at certain points and um and that might have been a reason why his glove work wasn't as, as good as it, it could have been as and as good as it, um, others say it is. So so Tim Payne's batting average, if we're just looking at that, and it's a bit of a crude way of looking at it mm. because England's test team play on harder batting wickets for the most part at home. But he's actually got better batting averages than f- uh, – a better batting average than all but five of England's Ashes squad. So when you look at it right. like that, so obviously Root – uh, is averaging 50. Stokes is averaging 37. Bairstow's mid-30s as well. Tim Payne comes in at 32.63. You were, you were um, correcting me just before. Um, there are two more. Haseeb Hamid is 35.9. Oh, right. Okay, yep. Yeah, and Joss Butler is uh, 33 as well. So, so around about the same mark for the two wicket keepers of either side. My point being is that his batting average is, isn't terrible. Right, and so... You- you definitely have no concerns about his glove work as well at this point. You still think it's right up there with the best in Australia? Well, I think that's a it's a different question, right? Because if we didn't think he was the best wicketkeeper in Australia, then he probably shouldn't have been in the team in the first place. So um, I don't think they would drop him because they don't think he's, he's keeping all of a sudden isn't as good as Alex Carey's or Josh Inglis's or yeah. Jimmy Pearson's, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, I, I don't think... I don't think that should really be. I mean, maybe it maybe it should be a factor going forward, and maybe it would be really unfair on him if they decided that there was all of a sudden another a better keeper. But look, I think at the end of the day, they're going to pick him if he's match fit. Um, okay, at yep. least for the for the start of the series. Right. Do you think I'm reading that wrong? Well, no. It would seem unlikely that they'll parachute someone into the squad because he's the only wicket keeper in there at the moment, mm. isn't he? So. Well, they do have Josh Inglis and Alex Carey in the Australia A squad. Who are essentially, you know, for all intents and purposes, part of that pre-Ashes kind of kind of squad, and you know, there's no reason why one of those guys or or anyone couldn't come in to be added to the squad at the last minute. The other one, Josh, is probably worth mentioning is just the respective strengths of those two guys, Kerry and Inglis, who are probably the front runners to replace Payne. Um, do we think that they're potentially up to playing Test cricket? Well. Certainly based on Sheffield Shield results, you'd have to say yes. They've both been um, they've both put together some really good performances over the past couple of seasons with the bat. Uh, we've seen Alex Carey at international level do very well, you know, particularly in ODIs. Uh, we all remember the 2019 World Cup mm-hmm. where he came up against the best attacks in the world and certainly held his own. So, yeah, I don't see any reason. I think we're in a strong position in Australia as far as the strength of our wicketkeepers go. Um, yeah, what are, your, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think when you add in Josh Inglis, uh, sorry, when you add in Josh Inglis is already one we've added in. When you add in Jimmy Pearson, I think you've got three mm-hmm. three really good contenders. Josh Felipe's maybe uh, um, another kind of bolter um, potentially. 
Uh, but I think Kerry and Inglis are, are the main two. Kerry's done a really good job in one day cricket, as you've as you've touched on. He captained Australia early this year. That's right, um, in the West Indies. That's right, yep. yeah. So, um, I mean, Rashid Khan rates him as the best keeper he's had um, to, to his bowling just about in over the course of his career. So and he would have had plenty, wouldn't he? He would have, yeah, yeah, all the T20 teams he's played for. So that's a big vote of confidence in terms of his keeping up to the stumps. Um, we know he's quite good back. I remember when he was kind of first established himself as a wicket keeper for South Australia. Carey's, some of the catches he was taking off Chad Sayers and um, Daniel Worrell, the really strong seam attack they had at the time, um, were, were just extraordinary, some you know full-length diving stuff. So um, we know he's got that in him. Um, but Inglis is, is one people rate really highly. Um, we interviewed Ricky Ponting yesterday and he was incredibly strong on, on how highly he rates Inglis in, in all formats, not just the, the T20 stuff okay. that we've, we've probably first that most people would, would probably have, have known him, um, known his work. So, yeah, some, some interesting contenders there. Yeah, I think three Shield centuries last year for Inglis, so that's a pretty impressive number in itself. The other one, I guess, is Ben McDermott, who mm. was selected in that South Africa squad at the start of the year. Doesn't keep full-time, I don't think, in red ball cricket, but he's certainly been around the mark in the test squad as well. Yeah, he has done it. I think him and Felipe are... Uh, um, you know, probably slightly further back in in that regard, but yeah, we, we do know he they do rate him as a mm. as a test test player potentially. Um, so yeah, that would be that would be interesting. But uh, yeah, I really do think Kerry and Inglis are the are the main two. Is there a standout number two then? Uh, it's a tough one. I, I genuinely gen, genuinely couldn't separate Kerry or Inglis for me. I I think that's going to be a really tough call and. Um, I think with Carey, you, you really know what you're getting. You've probably seen it over a longer period of time. He's, he's a touch older. Um, and then with Inglis, he, he really could be anything. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sitting on the fence on, on purpose, Josh. Uh, I genuinely don't have an answer for that. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It does also beg the very obvious question, who should succeed Tim Payne as uh, test captain? A lot of people are pointing towards Pat Cummins, who... Has that squeaky clean image, and everybody loves him, and he's a great performer. But is it right to put the Test captaincy onto his head as well? Well, he's definitely the consensus pick, Pat Cummins. I don't think anyone is arguing that he shouldn't take over. Um, it seems a bit of a fait accompli that that it's going to happen. Dennis Lilly um, has backed him in. Alan Borders backed him in. Steve Waugh's backed him in. Ricky Ponting thinks he's the right man. Um, making a fast bowler captain is really risky though um what do you think about it well i get the feeling you're not entirely convinced on the whole idea but it certainly would be new ground for this australian team i think our colleague martin smith said that no australian men's fast bowler has held the job permanently no and we've only had uh, two female uh, test cricketers hold that position as well sharon treadray and rayleigh thompson they did it for four tests each but surely if anybody could do it it would be pat cummins well, I think he's certainly shown the leadership potential. Um, actually, not even potential. He's shown fantastic leadership. The, the one that really took me was when he took the lead during the COVID crisis in India earlier this year when a lot of Australian players got caught up oh, yeah. over there in India and they were really going through a, a tough time, the, the, the country of India, I'm, I'm saying there. And he was really the first one who came out um, and made a made a big donation. I think it was fifty grand, and, and it wasn't so much about the money because we, we know he's not he's not short of it, right? You know, with his um, his big IPL contract, and I'm, I'm not saying that flippantly, but um, 
he showed a lot of leadership in terms of him being the first one and he did it even before Cricket Australia had kind of announced that they were making a donation and I, th- I think eventually they matched him and um, might have contributed a bit more but I-, I thought that really showed a lot you know when a lot of them would have understandably been thinking about their own personal situation and, and how they were going to potentially get home and it was a really worrying time for a lot of cricketers um, I-, I thought that was that was really impressive um, from Pat um, you know he's completed a, a uni degree while he was out injured um, and I think he's studying further now so he's you know really shown some um, I think that's a great example for athletes in general, right? Um, so there's no f- – from. I don't think anyone's doubting his credentials. I, I doubt whether it's wise to make a fast bowler captain unless you're prepared to accept that he's not going to play every game. I, I just think we, we don't expect fast bowlers to play every test match, right? And when you look at the – when you look at Australia and they haven't really played much test cricket over the last few years, some of that's been out of their control, but they've also, um, they've also not toured places. And mm. a lot of that's been, some of that's been out of their control too, in terms of the COVID situation in Australia being very different to how it is in the rest of the country, the rest of the world, I should say. Um, but you'd think they're going to have to make up a lot of overseas tours. So you'd think that there's probably going to be a, a really busy few years of test cricket coming up. So do we think any of the fast bowlers are going to be able to play in every test match? Personally, I don't, I don't think that's a reasonable expectation. I think even this Ashes, five tests in six weeks, that's, that's a lot of test, test cricket. I know Pat did it in 2019, but we can't keep expecting him to be able to front up like that, in, in my opinion. Um, so if you make the appointment of Pat on the proviso that whoever you pick as your deputy, they're probably going to have to stand in for a lot of games. If you accept that, then absolutely do it. But don't you, I don't think you can do it um, thinking that you're going to get every game out of out of a fast bowler because that's history has shown you just don't you don't get that. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it's a fantastic point and probably probably one that a lot of people haven't focused on at this point as well because as you said, Australia's test schedule over the last twenty four months has been minimal compared to other teams and will only ramp up from here. You'd imagine so. Mm. Yeah, expecting Cummins to play every game is going to be a big ask and it's going to need a strong vice-captain as well who we don't really know which way they're going to go with that either, do we? No. Well, it was interesting that um, the interim chairman of, of CA did say that Steve Smith is eligible again. I mean, we know he's, he's yeah. been eligible, but that they will you know, they will consider him and you have to think he, he would be the front-runner. And I guess if you appoint Cummins, then you know you've got a, a solid pair of hands in the in the background. Someone who's you know been through the ringer mm-hmm. a little bit in terms of his own leadership and his his own situation, and um, might be a better a better skipper now than he than he used to be. So um, it's interesting with Cummins. I mean, going just going back to the the amount of cricket they've got since he's returned, he's played uh, all but two of the thirty five tests Australia have have played in um, have have had since twenty seventeen eighteen. Um, sorry, since 2017 when he returned to the team. Yep. So he has been very durable, but it's just inevitable. He is going to miss games through injury. That's what happens to fast bowlers. They get hurt and they, um, or, or they need to be rested uh, from a test match. So yeah, the deputies, I mean, who are the other, who are the other um, contenders? It's, you know, Marnus. Um, yeah. Nathan Lyon might be a contender. That would be, yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, I was thinking about it. I mean, if you're just looking on the on the face of things, Lyon is a a more um, 
you know whether whether he's the best candidate or not. But in, in terms of the most stable presence in that team, you'd, you'd probably say it's him, right? Yeah. Like him, Warner, and Smith have been the most, um, and, and the fast bowlers at times have have been the ones who have played the most Test matches over the last last decade or so. Lyon barely ever misses, and when he when he does, I think in 2013 he, he got dropped twice for Thrash and Agar, and <laughs> yeah, you know he, right. it wasn't an injury. So I mean he he. If you're just looking for pure stability, he would be a, a, a safe bet. I, I don't think they're going to go that way. I, I think, yeah. I mean, it's probably out of it's probably out of Smith, Manus, or maybe Usman Kawadra if he's if he's back in the team. Wow, that would be something straight back in and hand him the captaincy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it would be a lot for him. Yeah. And so, yeah, with the Ashes just around the corner, there has been quite a bit of Sheffield Shield action to cover off as well at the minute. Uh, Jai Richardson has been the standout in the current game. Four wickets against Tasmania just today. He takes his season total to 20 wickets at an average of just over 12 from his, from his four shield matches. James Pattinson's also been good with eight wickets at 20. And today we've got Travis Head versus Usman Khawaja at Karen Rolton Oval, the batter's paradise, to potentially seal that number five spot in the test order Lou, has any of this Shield stuff sort of taken your eye? Have you been impressed by Richo uh, down in Tazin? Well, for the whole season so far. Yeah, I have. And it's interesting, a lot of the chatter around all this was what all we were talking about about a week ago and, you know, no, <laughs> yeah. one's, no one's paying it any attention now. But, yeah, I mean, w- w- there's been some suggestions that Richardson might might even be able to leapfrog one of the existing quicks in the side. Um so he's he's putting a, a strong case forward. I think I think that would be a really big call if he did. But um, four wickets to to kind of break open that game in down in Hobart was a was a really solid effort. Um, yeah, Pattinson, as you mentioned, he, he's not going to be playing Test cricket this summer because he's he's hung up the boots. And the one we were all keeping an eye on is is Kawaja versus Head. Um, it seems to be that people think Kawaja might be slightly ahead. What do we? Th- Slightly ahead, uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> do we think Kawaja can can bat at number five? Yeah, I think so. And he's shown throughout his career that he's pretty versatile as well, right? Uh, his test average as an opener is fantastic, but he's also been batting at number four for Queensland this mm. year and he's done number three before. So, yeah, I think five's definitely within his wheelhouse. And Is four really that different from five in the batting order? No, no, I, I don't think so. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have much experience, mate, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, other other uh, experts tell me that it isn't. Um, Travis Head's an interesting one. I mean, I kind of thought people were a little bit harsh on him going into last summer, um, and he did struggle against India, didn't he? And I think he's he's probably opened up. Uh, you know, other contenders potentially go ahead of him, even though I mean he did get dropped um, both during that India series and also during the 2019 Ashes um, at various times. So, uh, but he he was then. Strangely, not strangely, but it, it was a little hard to follow for um, for everyone playing at home that he was then picked ahead of Matthew Wade for the South Africa tour that never happened, mm, even yeah. though Wade had finished the India series uh, and is, we should say, an incumbent in the Test team. Um, so, it, on that logic, you might think Head would be would be ahead, but um, yeah, Kawaja's form has been hard to argue with in the in the early part of the season. Well, Head's as well. I mean, and mm. given Head has got to play a lot at. Karen Rolton Oval, but he has peeled off a double century and a century and I think a one-day century as well. So both of them are in good form and that's another great sign, I think, as well, that you get to pick batters who are actually in form. Yeah, potentially. And if there is an injury um, at any point during the summer, you know that Kawaja could 
um, either be promoted if he starts at five and then, you know, fill a, fill a spot in the top four if, if that needs to happen. Um, and and Head potentially could, you know, could, could bat somewhere too. So um, an interesting one and, that, and they might need the depth if there was um, anything to happen because um, sadly Will Bukowski won't be, won't be featuring by the, by the looks of things. So the Weber WBBL finals are finally here. We've got our final four teams, the Scorchers, the Renegades, the Heat and the Strikers. And if you don't already, make sure you listen to the Scoop podcast with Laura Jolly and Emily Collin. They're our colleagues and they are heading to Adelaide for the two qualifying finals, I guess you'd call them, uh, between Strikers, the Heat and the Renegades before the Scorchers will host the final over in Perth Stadium. So jump onto the Scoop podcast uh, wherever you listen. Certainly worthwhile. And also, just two weeks away is the start of the KFC Big Bash. You can sign up to BKT Big Bash Tipping, where you pick the team you think will win each match of this BBL season, and you could win some epic prizes, including $10,000 for the top tipper this season. There's nothing wrong with just playing for fun as well, so join or create a league to take on your friends, family, and colleagues. It's free and easy to join. Just head to tipping.cricket.com.au and sign in with your cricket ID to get started. Good luck, Lou. We, well, I'm not sure that we're allowed to join in to the Big Bash tipping, but we wish all our listeners the best of luck if they do sign up. Happy tipping. All right. Well, that's all the time we've got for this week's edition of the podcast. We'll be back next week to preview the Ashes series. And until then, Louis, do you have anything you want to take us out on? Just the exit music, mate. Would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.